how to get along with people. <sighs> you know, it's as complicated as getting along with dogs, cats, anything you want a relationship with, even nature, even your own body. I guess the first question with getting along with people is, who is the person you're thinking about? And how much do you want to get along with them? There is, of course, the getting to know the person stage, which is really important. A lot of us, we will make things work, be entertaining, be charming, be funny, and nothing wrong with that. But you don't really get to know the other person when you do that. You get to know them as an audience. You get to know them in response to you and your having fun, uh, talking, engaging, entertaining. But ultimately, to me, at some point, we have to step back and allow that person to show themselves to us or maybe show you how armored they are, how, how much they are not willing to reveal. Perhaps they show you that they're willing to be a good audience, but they're not willing to show up in the relationship in any way whatsoever other than as an audience. To me, every relationship, whether it's a dog, a horse, your apple tree, or a person, there is the courtship phase, the honeymoon phase, the relationship phase. And each step along the way to me is a period of questioning, being curious, seeing what happens, allowing things to unfold in order to discover. And once you're in a relationship, by the way, I still like to keep that attitude. Who is this person? Who are they now? Have they been shifting and changing? And if so, how? How have I been shifting and changing in the relationship? And how is that affecting the relationship and the other person. Mindfulness and self-awareness to me are a lifestyle. It is not something you do just in meditation. To me, you do it in meditation in order to build your skill in mindfulness, to hone it, kind of like practicing scales on the piano or taking your endless ballet classes, even though you are a star dancer already. You still take your classes to hone the fine edges of the movements that you do and to keep your basics kind of up and going. And to me, that's what meditation is about. It helps us hone our skills for being curious, self-aware, staying present in our body, no matter what's going on, and being able to feel and connect with and sense a higher energy that is so vast that it only speaks to us in energy, not with words or concepts or jokes, etc. And doesn't teach us what we already know, but instead is constantly showing us things we don't know. So getting along with people I don't think there's so many, so much as answers as there are questions, which is 
beginning to become aware of the choices we're making in our relationship all the time. And if you're not used to doing this, it can almost sound a little OCD or hypervigilant. But to me, it's like the difference between slamming down food versus everything you eat, you eat it. You stop, you enjoy it, you savor it, you swish it around in your mouth, you swallow it, you feel the texture, you smell, you see how it goes down into your body, you see how your body reacts to it. And yeah, maybe not 100% of the time, maybe there's times when you're working so hard, you are slamming some food down. But try not to make that a habit. So the same thing in a relationship. It's not OCD, it's not hypervigilant. Instead, it's tasting each bite, each encounter, savoring it, slowing down enough to notice what just happened and what flowed out from that and what flowed in from that. And is it flowing the way that you feel comfortable or do you want it to flow another way? Are you allowing the other person to show up? Are you showing up? And none of the choices are bad. In other words, if you want to show up as a show off and be funny and talk about yourself and be in the spotlight, what's wrong with that? Nothing. But if you're doing it unconsciously and habitually and in a reactive way, it's out of balance. If you're doing it because it feels right in the moment and you're having a lot of fun with it, and that's what you want to do, and you're well aware of the range of consequences, everything from entertaining people to people hating you and thinking you're a narcissistic egomaniac, go forward with your choice. Go forward, have fun with it, see what happens. It's only when we're unconscious and reactive that things can get very confusing. How do I know someone is being unconscious and reactive, or perhaps how do you know if you are being unconscious and reactive? One surefire thing is noticing that you or the other person has a ton to say about everybody else and very little to say about themselves. They can analyze, they can tell you the feelings that someone else, they can tell you what they're doing, what they've done, what it means, the repercussions, why it's good, why it's bad. But then if you say to yourself or someone asks you, well, how are you feeling about that? And there's this huge whoosh, this vacuum of, you can feel it, I, I don't know. Guaranteed that person has had their head up their butt and is on a roll with no clue as to what's going on with themselves or the other people even though they have a great story that says they do know what's going on with the other people. It's just that, a story. Having relationships with people, there are so many different levels to choose from, and none of them have to be permanent. It can be fluid. You have a neighbor that you're cordial to, you have a neighbor that you have strong boundaries with. You have a coworker who is disrupting your job or perhaps you feel is going after you. You have a coworker that you have fun with. 
you have a coworker who gives you lots of answers at work. In other words, you notice what you have right now. And then you make some choices around that. It's good for now. I'm uncomfortable. I need stronger boundaries. I have trust issues here. I'd like to get closer. And in the beginning, this it does feel like a lot of labor. Just like when people start to get healthy or go on a diet. Oh my God, that's so labor intensive. But in reality, when we start anything new, it is labor intensive. Your first child is labor intensive. By the second child, things are a little less laborious. Having a puppy is labor intensive. Having a dog that you've lived with for a few years is less labor intensive. And of course, one of the problems when things get less labor intensive is a lot of times people get lazy. They start checking out instead of checking in. They start taking for granted instead of being in a mode of discovery and questioning and finding out what's going on now. What's the relationship like now? What's What's this uh, interaction that's going on right now? Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's not cool. (laughs) So yes, beginning to live an awakened, mindful life can feel very laborious, but think about how much time and labor you put into escaping. Shutting down your feelings, having busy thoughts, overeating, recovering from a sugar splurge, um, recovering from uh, 18 hours of video games and what it's done to your body and numbed you out, etc. It's just you're used to that labor. You're not used to the labor of being present, experiencing joy and curiosity, and being on the great adventure called living your life. So getting closer to certain people, wanting to get closer, it isn't always an option. Some people are unavailable to get closer, but there's no harm in trying. And you see what the reaction is. You see how they react. You see how you react. When we are getting to know somebody or when we are shifting a relationship to a deeper level or we're backing out of relationship to make it more casual. In the beginning, very often, we have to work with spoken boundaries and spoken words. Especially if you're not tuned into yourself and how you feel and your choices and your mindfulness, you will have to use the very kind of concrete and sometimes inadequate words (laughs) to try to negotiate a shift in energy. But the more you meditate and the more you get comfortable with being present, the more you are able to stay present and feel what's going on and sense what's going on. The more you can start to work with energy, with all people, and the less you have to work with words. By the way, um, predators know how to do this already. Predators are people who want to get something from someone else, whether it's a sexual predator or someone who wants to get close to you because you represent status, like you're a shaman and people want to get close to you because you're a shaman. So when you do that, um, when you do that, uh, people will hustle you with energy. They won't tell you their agenda. They won't tell you they're hustling you. They just hustle you. They just manipulate. So predators to me are people who want 
get something from someone without necessarily asking permission. And sometimes they're unconscious about it, but if they're kind of malignant predators, they know exactly what they're doing. And they will, if you have studied narcissists, malignant narcissists, they will become your dream team. They will seduce you. They will become everything you want a person to be. And they will do all of this with energy. And yes, they'll use words, but the words have no meaning. They're using the energy behind the words to suck you into a relationship where they can then get something from you. However, non-predators can also elevate to the place of beginning to use energy in developing relationships with people rather than just the kind of laborious process of setting a boundary I'm not okay when you do this. Next time you do this, please ask me a question, etc. It's a little bit of a fine line working with energy because sometimes people, after a while, will use energy in place of words instead of adding it to your toolbox of sometimes we use words and have difficult conversations and sometimes we work just with energy and sometimes we work with both. So sometimes people get really good working with energy and now they just start manipulating. And again, not in a malignant fashion, but just because it's easier, there's less vulnerability, there's less putting yourself out there, and there's more avoidance. Not a good set of choices in my book, unless it's someone who is really bothering you and you want to avoid them, you want to dodge a conversation, you're basically putting a wall up, in which case, good job. (laughs) So say you're trying to get to know someone, and, and the ones that I find particularly challenging is that when I'm not around energy sensitive people, Um, and especially the ones who think they're energy sensitive, but they're really not, in my opinion. And they are projecting all sorts of emotions and issues. And yet, if one is to get into a conversation about that, that means we're getting closer. And perhaps I don't want to get closer to someone like that. So you talk to someone and they never ask you questions. They never share anything about themselves. They talk about other people. They talk about their work. They talk about things and events, but never mention really anything insightful about themselves. To me, this is a huge red flag. This is somebody who's saying, keep away. But sadly, what's usually underneath that is loneliness and wanting to connect. But this is a person so filled with fear and or possibly so unconscious about who they are that they literally don't know they're doing this. They're not, they don't know they're setting up this sort of moat with alligators and a drawbridge that's pulled up. And They don't ask any questions. So it's kind of like the three monkeys, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. And yet this person is 
thinking that they're connecting or being sociable or being getting close in whatever way is appropriate for that particular relationship, whether it's close as a coworker or close as a friend, etc. This can be really hard if you are an empath because you will feel what's going on with this other person, but you have to kind of buy the car that they're selling, which is, I'm okay, and I think I'm being very friendly and open, and what you're feeling from them is so many other things that would be worth talking about and worth connecting on that level. And a very hard decision has to be made. Do you open up to this person? Do you help them to open up? Do you respect their energetic boundaries and not say a word and just leave it be? Do you walk away? What do you do? I know for myself when I was younger, I always had this belief, I'm not sure where I got it, maybe from my folks, that whoever was put in my path was put there for a reason. And usually that reason was that I was meant to help them in some way, whether it's to wake up or to feel better or to solve a problem, etc. It never occurred to me that someone might be in front of me in order for me to learn to say no and to learn to mind my own business and for me to learn more about human nature by watching what someone else does with their emotions and pain and how they hide and how they ice people out and not do anything about it. Just like watching a lion going, oh, this is what lions do. It's like, okay, this is what some people do. It took me a very, very long time to have it be okay to let people be their knotted up, hidden, shut down, confused selves, and I don't do anything. I had to go through that phase for a while. And then it balanced out a little bit more where I'll ask some questions and if the person doesn't respond to the questions and they don't ask questions themselves, that means I have nothing to offer them. They're not listening, they're not asking, they're not curious. They may be stuck, they may have just taken a position, but the bottom line is it's none of my business. It doesn't mean either, by the way, that that's the end game, because sometimes we encounter people and we're in their lives to plant a seed. Maybe that seed is they see how someone else can be. Maybe that seed is this person feels uncomfortable for the first time around someone else. Who knows what that seed is? It's not our business. As a friend of mine once said, that her service to spirit is to be a candle in a dark corner, that we get placed places where people or areas need light. And our job is to keep burning brightly and everything else is up to spirit, that when we're really being of service, we allow ourselves to be used by spirit. And my interpretation of that in the beginning was what I said, which is, 
if I'm being used by spirit, obviously I'm meant to fix and help every single person who comes in front of my face. Come on, Pia, come. But now I understand it that my job is to be myself in every situation. And if that means freezing someone out because they're freezing me out, if that means to stop asking questions because the other person is not asking questions or answering questions other than saying, got you, okay, copy that, sure, understood. And that's the end of the discussion. That I am still being of service just by showing up, kind of like being an apple on a tree. You're the apple on the tree and spirit will send along whomever needs to eat that apple, whether it's a squirrel or a human being. Come on, P. Come on. Come, come. But the apple doesn't run around trying to make sure it's noticed. Come on, Pia. Get off the street. Come on, no street. Good. And the apple isn't concerned about whether it's getting et or not. The apple is concerned with growing and being juicy and hanging onto the tree until it's time to drop off the tree. So I found that living mindfully and with self-awareness meant more and more being present and conscious and keeping my energy and focus on my life and my self-care until further notice. What does that mean, until further notice? Well, until someone asks me for help. Pia, come. Come on. Or until... I get some kind of inner push from spirit to say or do something. Or the person starts to shift and change and asks more out of me or out of their relationship with me. And I can tell you at first this felt so selfish. Like, Pia, come here. Come on. Come. Coyote time. Stick close. Come on, Pia. Pia, come. Good girl. Good. I always felt like I had to do something. I, if I was withholding information, it was hostile. It was mean. It was selfish. And what I had to learn was that was all a misinterpretation. Maybe it was my pride and my ego. Because in reality, if people don't want to listen, no matter what you say, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. The most I do now is I might shake the tree a little. I might ask a question. I might make an observation. I might say, well, what do you think? Or how's that feel? And if I get a stone wall, I leave it. That's the end. I just leave it and I retreat into heavier self-care. I go have fun by myself. I get, make sure I have alone time. I hang out with other people where there's more of a connection if that's what I want. And let the other person be. Now I have to tell you this often goes against social norms. Why aren't you being friendlier? Why don't you pull this person out of their shell? Why aren't you, etc. 
good questions, by the way, and nothing wrong with those choices. For me, I don't do those things unless I feel that energetic push, that nudge, that tap from spirit. And then when I do those things, I do them with absolutely no thought of outcome. Like, I'm going to start a conversation so this poor person who has nothing to talk about except other people and work, maybe they'll step into a bigger conversation. But maybe they won't. But the push is there to give it a shot. So I give it a shot just for the heck of it. That's different than giving it a shot because I feel God told me to do this and it's my job and I'm supposed to and I'm always like, how do you know that? How do you know what that huge universal force really wants? That's like a two-year-old understanding the concepts of parenting that are being applied by their parents to help them along. A two-year-old can't possibly understand it. They can feel that energy. They can feel that that's being done. They can feel that there's a teaching there, but they can't possibly understand what's being done, actually, until they're older. So I, at least for me, I'm a perpetual student with spirit, meaning when I do these things with people, if you ask me why, my real answer is I don't know. If you push me, I might make up a story just to get you off my back. But the real experience is it felt right, and the process afterwards, whatever happens, none of which is lining up with my expectations, all of what happens afterwards was as much of a revelation to me as it is to the other person and I learned as much as the other person did so now I'm not really interested in their outcome I'm much more interested in I felt this little push I did this little push here's what happened here's what I learned I'm not interested in what the other person learned not unless I'm having a formal session with them or they've asked for my help or they've asked me a very specific question and they've given me permission. But other than that, whenever I follow guidance in developing relationships with people, I do it in order to be educated myself. And what that's going to look like, I don't know. How do we know from making mistakes or not making mistakes? Well, good question. Actually, it's an awful question. It's an outcome question. Mistakes means that there's a right and wrong, as opposed to the question of, what am I learning? What did I learn? How did it feel? Did I like the feeling? Do I like my choice? What else is coming out of this? Is this part of a pattern? Was this an event? And this goes back to another idea, which is, being present and mindful and focusing on what you're learning in relationships is a second skill on top of a first skill. The first skill is you have to be able to feel your feelings, your actual feelings, and you have to be able to be honest to yourself. 
hopefully eventually honest to some other people as well. How do we do that first set of skills so we can work on this second set of skills? In the shamanic tradition, there's a word, recapitulation, which is you go back through your life and re-examine your choices, what you did, how you felt about them, what you felt worked, what you felt didn't work. That doesn't mean it worked or didn't work, just how you felt about it. In 12-step program, we call it inventory. And you do it going back to your childhood up to present time. That usually takes around a year to a year and a half to accomplish if you have any age on you. Like say, uh, I would say about 25 or older. And then you do it every day. Every day you're looking at your choices, your decisions, your feelings, what worked, what didn't work, what you learned, what you liked, what you didn't like. Only then can you do the second part of staying present in relationships, following the little push from spirit and letting go of outcomes. Most people I know have no idea what they're feeling most of the day, most of the time. I would say a majority of people, even in a session, when I ask them what they're feeling, tell me what they're thinking or they tell me a story. Some of the ones that are a little bit more further down the path can tell me what they're feeling, but it takes them a few minutes to sit there and really, really think about it. But they don't really know what they're feeling. And to me, feelings should be almost like, how's that apple pie taste? How long do you have to sit there to figure that out? (laughs) Well, maybe a long time if you're tuned out and you don't even realize you're eating apple pie. So going back to working on honesty and having some integrity about that honesty and not being honest inappropriately with the wrong people, people who aren't safe for you, but being honest either in a group or with someone that you can totally trust, that they understand you're doing this as a process, not to line up adventures or facts in order to send you to jail or something. Another thing you can practice before getting to this second level of working energetically with relationships is starting to tell people how you feel. And it doesn't have to be about them. You can just say, I hate being in the back seat of the car. And I wish I had been able to tell you that I wanted to sit up front. Little tiny things like that. So now you're getting used to being uncomfortable, being honest, being yourself, using words, and feeling the energy that comes in with using those words. Good dogs. Don't you have horses? Yes. You don't have your horses anymore? I do. Oh, I never see you anymore. Oh. Oh, nice to see you. Hi, I ride different places at different times, so. I just want to say hi. Come on. Come on, Hoshi. Hoshi, no street. Good girl. Hmm. More strange. Come, come. 
Come on. Come on. All of this that I'm talking about is really a lifestyle change. And it makes life extremely rich. Hoshi, no street. Come here. Come. No street. Come on. Come on. Hoshi, no street. Come. Hoshi, come here. Good. Very good. It also is very complex. And one of the things that complexity does is it doesn't leave a lot of time for television and video games and drinking and overeating. There's just so much going on all the time. It's kind of like, I don't know how you vacation, but when I vacation, I'm just soaking it all in. I was telling someone that throughout my visit in Kenya, there were times when I was burning a CD in my head or a DVD. The smells, the taste, like the whole sensation, and then I can call it up again as a full-blown memory, as a full-blown revisiting, much richer than pictures, just the visuals, or using a visual cue to remind you. So when you start to live like this, you need less external things. So sometimes people think, you know, spiritual people are austere. They don't go for a lot of things. They don't want a lot of things. I don't want to live like that. Well, the reality is, after a while, things don't mean as much to you. You are filled to the brim throughout the day just by living your life. I remember hearing Ram Das talk about this, and he said, and at one point, even music, which he loved, became irrelevant. It was the music of the energy of every day, every minute of the day that filled him up. So that listening to instrumental music or rock and roll or darshan chanting didn't mean much anymore. That's how we start giving up things. We don't give up things to be superior or fit a spiritual profile. They actually kind of just go away because we are so filled with other things. It's one of the ways that people try to treat addiction, which is if I fill myself up with, say, working out or going to meetings or doing service, my desire, my appetite for addiction will naturally drop off because I'm so full. Well, this is what happens when you start working with being mindful and self-aware, practicing honesty, checking in, asking questions, reading other people's energies, reading your own energy in relationship to them, looking at your choices, feeling those choices, rolling around in them. Come on. No, no, don't eat that. Come on. Pee, come. Hey, come on. Suddenly, you notice one day, you're just not doing the other stuff that you were doing, that you were ashamed of or was driving you crazy. Come, come. Let's go this way. 
And in fact, you may find that material possessions and frivolous activities, empty activities, mindless, mind-numbing, conversation-ending activities just disappear from your life. It's a little bit like when you eat really well, your sugar craving goes down. So getting along with people is a skill of being a spiritual person. And we are now in the age of the cancel culture. Anybody who doesn't make you feel good is toxic and you need to walk away from them. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> this way, come on. That means anytime you're learning something, because learning is always uncomfortable, you're going to shut it down. And for those of us who are concerned about things such as racism or the psychopathy of our former president and his possible return, gun violence, the only way that people shift their viewpoint is through exposure to other people, to the very people that they have stereotyped and classified and are now fighting and have judgments against. I can't tell you how many white people I know that when they got to meet their first black person or their first Jew or their first uh, Native American person, how shocked they were. Like, wow, that they, meaning that race, <laughs> they're really nice. Like, I, I now I know someone. This is why our government fought for integration instead of segregation. So being a spiritual awakened person and being around a muggle who is checked out, who talks about clothes, or a meeting they had at work, or a conversation that somebody else had that they observed and they have a big judgment about, and you're sitting there yawning and feeling all superior to them. Like, I don't talk like that. I'm so much more advanced than that. I would say, get off your high horse. And remember that by continuing to expose yourself to people from all different walks of life, you are opening doors. What happens with those open doors is between the other person and their spirit guides. Having the courage to show up as yourself, having the courage to show up as trans or gay or black, or whatever. Yes, if your life is being threatened, I would say that's a different discussion. But if it's not being threatened, and you can emotionally handle it at the time, why not? Why not show up as yourself and see what happens? Also, why not let other people show up as they are, as racist, or is empty, frozen, locking you out, not able to have a conversation, not able to reveal anything about themselves, and just let them be. How interesting it is to meet someone like that. 
it's sad for you, but is it sad for them? Come on, Pia. Come on, come. Are they going to be like that forever? You don't know. They're that way now. Maybe they're just that way with you. You don't know. You'll find out. So look for curiosity. Go for balance. Quit looking at outcomes and focus more on the learning and focus more on the self-care that you have to do while you're learning. And allow yourself to get along with all different kinds of people and see what that has to teach you. Because the more you can do that, the more you can get along with yourself. I hope this helps. Hopes to see you at Life Path Healings.